We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Road of Wire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. As always, Alex, it's been a while since we've recorded a, a non-Dash Radio episode. Um, the schedule has obviously been hectic with, with a lot of games uh, starting early uh, with, with everything being on the East Coast. We do have one game on the schedule tonight, uh, game two between Heat and the Celtics. We'll get into some of that series, some of the gambling angles to potentially take for, for not only game two, but... Uh, a little bit longer into the series. We'll do the same for Nuggets Lakers. We'll talk some futures as well, which shifted pretty drastically. Um, if you've been keeping an eye on things like that, uh, after the Clippers lost game seven, things are now tilted pretty heavily in favor of the LA Lakers, as you'd expect. We'll talk a little bit about the all NBA teams that were released on Wednesday. Uh, but Alex, I want to start with some some fantasy analysis, which we typically don't broach on the Rotowire Fantasy Basketball podcast. 
But you and I published an article that went up on the site Wednesday afternoon, uh, kind of a look ahead to the 2020-2021 season. You know, I wrote in the intro for this, I don't know, are we even going to call it the 2020-21 season? Because I feel like there's a pretty good chance that the season might not even begin until the year 2021. Yeah, I think it'll. I think when it comes down to it, it will just end up being called the 2021 season, which is <laughs> you would kind of call never it happened, already. Right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I guess not. Yeah. So a, a lot to parse through as far as you know the timeline. The draft is currently scheduled, you know, for like the fifth time now. They pushed it back to November 18th. Although this time it does feel a little bit more permanent. Yeah. But that means you still need to ta- find time for free agency. You still need to find time for an actual offseason, especially for some of these teams, uh, you know, Lakers, Nuggets, Celtics and Heat that are you know, potentially going to be playing into mid-October. Uh, so my guess is the season probably begins uh, sometime in maybe January. I think that would be a win for both sides. I, I, my guess is the league would really be pushing for Christmas Day. Uh, and my guess on the other side is that the players will probably push back on that to some degree. Yeah, I kind of wonder what uh quote-unquote summer league is going to be like is it going to be winter league and like is it even going to happen because we're still not even really sure what the like attendance situation will be what the travel situation will be i mean it seems like things are getting better but the amount of times where it seemed like things have been getting better with covid and then they just aren't uh is too many to count now so it'll be interesting to see if they even try to do a sort of like league for the rookies coming in or like the undrafted guys like summer league basically right there's that i mean there's the whole problem of even working these guys out it sounds like the current plan is going to be for there to be some regional sites for the combine you know there's not going to be an actual draft combine that that usually would have taken place you know well in the past now in in mid to late may in chicago uh so that you know the whole process is kind of a mess and then you start to look at the eight teams that never even came to Orlando in the first place. Those teams have not played since, you know, some of them March 8th, March 9th, depending on how their schedule broke. So, you know, by, by that accord, you're looking at, if, let's say the season starts January 15th, you know, that's a 10 month break for a lot of those teams between actual NBA action. Yeah, that's, that would be really tough. I mean, I, it's, I can't say it's like an actual advantage, right? Some people are going to say, well, they got so much time off that they'll be fresher than ever. But like, Anybody who's played, who's taken like even a couple of months off from basketball and then has come back knows that like it's it's terrible right. at first. Um, and depending on what the mini camps are like and everything like that, I don't know. It's I mean, it sucks. It really sucks for those teams. Like it's just we've talked about on this podcast before that, that they didn't make the the bubble. It's really unfortunate, but there's really no there is no fair solution. I, I don't think for those teams. No. And I, I think the NBA initially, you know, wanted to address that and start up a second bubble for those teams to basically have, you know, a, a mini summer league of their own, I guess. And and that kind of fell by the wayside. And we never really got much of a follow up on that. But like you said, it's for the betterment of the league. I, I think those teams understand that. I'm sure there's some frustration there. But, uh, you know, we'll see, I guess, if it if it ends up kind of rearing any any longer term results with, with some of those teams being off for so long. So getting to the article that I mentioned that's on the site, uh, we broke down, I think it came out to, what, 21 or 22 players we wrote up as possible number one picks, which is a lot. Uh, but as we'll get to later, we, we left a few guys on the cutting room floor. You know, there were four or five other guys we debated writing up for this article. But, uh, you know, at some point we have to cut it off. You know, one, I think this speaks to the depth of high end talent 
at the top of the league. And and only so many of these guys are really in contention for like a top one or even a top three pick. Uh, and, and we have it tiered out into into four different tiers. But there are a lot of guys in the NBA right now. I think you could you could probably game it out to maybe 25, maybe maybe even closer to 30, depending on what kind of league you're in and, and how many players are in this league. Um, you know, maybe 25 or 30 guys you could make somewhat of a case for uh, to be drafted, you know, in the in the latter end of round one next year. Yeah, and it's important to mention we're talking mostly like eight category roto leagues, because obviously yeah. if, if you're in like a you know league where you can punt categories or if you're in a points league, obviously all that stuff uh, factors in. But yeah, I mean, the, the top end talent at the league is ridiculous. There are guys who, you know, like we'll, we'll get into like even like someone like Brandon Ingram was top returning top first round value. Then Zion came back and now it's unclear. You have to factor in, you know, some guys, um, you know, like getting better, like Tatum. And it's when you take a, also when you take a look at the top of like this season's rankings, there aren't really a ton of guys who you see and you're like, well, I'm sure he'll be like five spots worse next season. It just feels like everybody's going to jump up over somebody else and usurp them. Not that like anybody's really getting worse per se. Yeah, the only guy for me who really jumped out in that respect is Hassan Whiteside, who sure. finished. I think what did he finish seventh overall? In, uh, in in eight category leagues, like you said, you know that's probably not going to happen again. Um, but we we included him. We we wrote him up. We we put him as the last guy on our list just because he he was that good last year. He has a few other uh, top twenty finishes in his career when he was at his peak in Miami. But for him, it was just such a unique situation with the Blazers, with Nurkic being hurt, with Collins also getting hurt immediately. That it's just extremely unlikely as we saw once Nurkic came back. I mean, Whiteside was basically, you know, went from playing 35 minutes a night to playing 15 minutes off the bench. The chances of that happening again, aren't great. However, he's a free agent. You know, if he were to end up in, I don't know, Charlotte and all of a sudden he's playing 31 minutes a night, like it's not crazy that he could do it again. There, there are definitely spots where he could land. If a team just felt like, hey, we we can get a guy on our roster who can put up 15 and 15 on any given night. Um, he's not necessarily a winning player, but like it'll at least bring fans in maybe and make us more competitive. Like you mentioned Charlotte. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Uh, like Detroit. Who knows? Like there are just, you know, there are teams at the bottom of the list. Like you just never know. But yeah, a guy like him, I guess two other guys that stuck out to me. I'm kind of interested to see what the return of John Wall does to Bradley Beal's fantasy stock. I feel like, I feel like this is the peak of Bradley Beal's value, right? Like it's hard. It it is hard for me to imagine Beal having a better season than he had this year when the ball is going to be in his hands less. And there's always the argument like, well, he'll be more efficient because some, some of the defense will be focused on wall. Um, I'm not sure about that one. And then another guy who really sticks out to me, I guess, John Collins uh, with the addition of Clint Capella in Atlanta, it's going to be tough because he averaged 10 rebounds a game. He's averaging a block and a half, but if he's on the perimeter more, I mean, we saw what what's happened to some guys who have played center in the past and then move to power forward. They end up shooting a lot of threes. Their field goal percentage goes down. They don't get as many rebounds. They can't get blocks. So it's not like they're going to phase him out. Obviously like Collins is still going to be the third best player on the team or the second best player on the team potentially, but I could see his stats taking like a, a pretty, pretty significant hit. Yeah, he's somebody who I was I was surprised to see, you know, per game how high he ranked. Twelfth, um, twelfth overall, right? I mean, it was a, it was a very quiet twelfth, and he closed really strongly. You know, his last I think it was like eighteen games. Um, you know, he was a top seven player, and, and Bradley Beal was c- kind of on a similar trajectory. I mean, great season overall. 
know, we'll get to him when we start talking about some of the snubs from the all NBA teams. But yeah, I think his assists probably topped out. He finished at just over six per game, you know, with wall coming back, those probably recede closer to his career averages. You know, the, the rebounds, the steals, those seem sustainable, probably doesn't get back to 30 and a half points per game, which I think ranks second in the league. Um, but, at, at, you know, as we noted in the write-up, he was the number two overall fantasy player from February 1st onward, which based on how the season worked, you know, you have the all-star break in there. That's that's really only like a month's worth of games. But, I mean, he was the second best fantasy player in the league for an entire month. That means something. Um, and he was also the number six overall player from New Year's Day until uh, the end of the season, which which also does count uh, the seeding games as well. So, you know, I, I think Bradley Beal at least was one of those guys this year who proved that his ceiling is maybe a little bit higher than we thought, kind of kind of in the same vein of what we're seeing with Jamal Murray. And right. that's less that's more like real NBA basketball ceiling as opposed to fantasy ceiling. But, you know, Brad Beal, I think we, we always thought of him as like a really nice number two. And he's never going to be a number one guy who, you know, can wheel your team to like the Eastern Conference finals or even a playoff series, uh, let alone make the playoffs, as we saw this year. But I, I think his statistical ceiling and his all around fantasy output is is definitely a little more rich than than I thought it was coming into this past year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it helps that I mean, like his team, I mean, the Wizards were like awful, like it was unbelievable uh, how bad they were. But hey, they make it into the bubble. So technically competitive. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ball is just not going to be in his hands. I, I don't think like the amount that I mean, he was, you know, extremely high in like usage rate and everything. Like everyone knows how how much he was handling the ball. So I it's not like you can't draft like if you draft him 12th, like I it's kind of hard to argue with that because his floor is extremely high. But I wouldn't expect like a top, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect like a top eight finish or anything like that. No, no, I, I think he's one of the guys that's due for a regression. So in tier one, we ended up going with four guys and we debated adding a few more. We debated you know, whether at least two of these guys should be in this tier. But James Harden ranked supreme at number one. Fourth consecutive number one overall season in per game value in eight category leagues. I think this year there's maybe a little bit more doubt uh, than there has been over the last two or three years, just because there is a coaching change. Uh, we, we talked on the podcast on Tuesday, you know, is there a chance that maybe they back a little bit away from this just crazy ball dominant, you know, lead the league in usage rate by a huge margin type of style uh, that that has worked for them pretty well in the regular season, but has obviously not led to success in the postseason. Um, so, you know, at some point, like Harden's just going to stop averaging 35 a game like that's, that's going to regress, whether it's because of age or a change in style. So there, there are maybe a few more question marks here. But at the same time, you can if you really start to poke holes, you know, in any of the top players, you can you can find some faults. And I, I think Harden is still, for me, the safest number one pick. Yeah, unless something extremely drastic happens, I'm going to take Harden number one next season if I have the number one pick in probably every draft. I mean, there might be like if I'm in like 10 best ball leagues and I get the number one pick in like five, somehow I would take probably Anthony Davis in one to have some differentiation in case Harden gets hurt. But like Mm. realistically speaking, Harden, for me, there's no debate. The difference in him between uh, the difference between him and like the second ranked player and Anthony Davis is the same difference between like Anthony Davis and like Kyrie Irving in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of like fa- value that um, they bring. So yeah, Harden's just number one. I, I think the thing with him too is, and it becomes somewhat underrated is his durability. You know, he missed four games this past year and, you know, two, at least two of them, as I look at his game log now, were were back-to-back rest situations. 
He's played 78 games in 2018-19, 72 the year before, 81, 82, 81, 73, 78. I mean, he he is as durable as it gets, especially for a guy who takes as much contact as anybody in the league and you know plays a ton of minutes, is the number one guy whenever he's out there. Um, so th- that's incredibly valuable. Also in tier one, we we went with Anthony Davis at two, Damian Lillard at three, which I think is, you know, and these could change by the time we you know do our final rankings uh, closer to next season. But I, I think this is far and away as high as, as we've ever had him. And then uh, the one that we kind of went back and forth about is Carl Anthony Towns, who was a model of durability through his first couple of years. That was something that we always talked about with him, um, you know, playing 82, 82, 82, 77 to begin his career. And then last year, 35 games, you know, misses basically half the year. Um, and it was one of those situations where it just seemed like, all right, this is the week he's coming back. This is the week he's coming back. And he obviously never came back. Um, with that said, he's been so good when healthy and the track record of durability is still there that I think you and I ultimately agreed that I think when we look back in a few years, we'll probably end up looking at 2019-20 as, you know, a, an anomaly type of season for him in terms of all those games missed. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I can't, you know, I, I, I'm just going to assume he's going to get back to like his normal health for next season. Um, yeah, Towns was the third ranked player on a per game basis this season. He's been like a really, really good fancy player for a long time. Like he was third this season, sixth last season, eighth both, year, both years before that. And even as a rookie, he was ranked 18th. So he's been like pretty close to like he, him and Giannis have basically been neck and neck the past like four years in terms of per game value. Um, which I think people would just like automatically default to Giannis, but Towns shooting for the center position is incredible. Towns shooting for anybody is incredible. Um, And in terms of Damian Lillard, yeah, like what we saw him do, especially late this season in the seeding games, stuff like that, like is, was honestly incredible. And he's another guy who, given the context of like the Blazers, his floor is extremely high. Like, you know exactly what you're getting with Damian Lillard. Um, I wouldn't expect him like, you know, I'm not going to expect him to score like 37 points a game next year or something like that, but he's just incredible. And I think, I think that now that he's gotten the confidence to where, I mean, the the shots that he was taking, like in these seeding games and everything, like the volume of shots he was taking, we've never seen from him before. And I think that will just carry over into next season. Now that he has that confidence. Yeah. And I think one thing that, made doing these rankings maybe a little bit easier than especially last year and and some years in the past is for the most part, I think we expect a lot of these situations, uh, you know, team context to remain pretty standard for next year. Right. I mean, there's not, there's not a great free agency class. We're not going to have to wait until the last day of free agency to see where guys like Kawhi Leonard end up that can shift the entire fabric of the league. You know, we might see some trades with guys like Chris Paul, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook, you know, but it's I, I, for the most part, like a lot of the top guys should just be coming back to a pretty similar situation uh, to last year. And, you know, we'll see, maybe this ends up coming back and biting us, but at least to me, it felt like it was a little bit easier to project, uh, you know, for this time in the calendar. Yeah. We, there's not really a lot that, you know, we expect to change. Um, obviously like Durant coming back to Brooklyn um, or I guess debuting for Brooklyn's going to be a pretty big thing. And Steph Curry coming back is is a whole is another thing. But in terms of like guys changing teams, stuff like that, I, I don't really expect too much. The Rotowire NBA show is brought to you by Prediction Strike. It's a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares 
of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard your friend say, I've had stock in that player since day one? Well, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now, that's a complete reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. This is basically exactly how I felt about OJ Mayo from day one. Still only 32, by the way. Tore it up in China last season. Just something to keep an eye on. Maybe an opportunity to buy low on OJ Mayo on Prediction Strike. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com and create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would with your real stock account. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time, as long as the player is not currently playing in a game. You can get started with Prediction Strike today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with our code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 off your first deposit of at least $20. That's code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, for an additional 10 bucks with your first deposit of at least $20. All right, so before we get to Tier 2, let's let's jump down to Tier 3, where we have Kevin Durant. Um, you know, Tier 3, we, we titled High Upside Risks. And it, it's tough to really say, like, where we'd rank the three guys in this tier overall. It, it depends on your risk tolerance, ultimately. Uh, but within that tier, we have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Russell Westbrook. Which of those three guys do you think is the the most risky overall based on where you would take them, you know, presumably somewhere in round one or maybe round two? Uh, I think Kyrie, I like, I know Durant's coming off the Achilles injury, but Kyrie is hurt every single year. Like he is never healthy. And um, as much as I'm down on Russell Westbrook in general, he's just going to keep giving you like 25, eight and eight, uh, like until he just like retires. So um, I feel, I feel the least, like I would, I would take Durant and Westbrook uh, over Irving. You know, I think I'm with you. I, you know, right now everyone is so down on Westbrook because of how poorly he played in the bubble and especially in round two against the Lakers that, you know, I even asked you, you know, should we even put Westbrook in this article? But he, I mean, for 90% of the year, he was really good and people were kind of back in on Westbrook, you know, like, especially kind of around the all-star break when, when he really hit his stride like his regular season numbers were were very much unassailable. And a lot of the shortcomings that, you know, that come with Russell Westbrook being on your team are more like intricate and don't really affect fantasy. So I, I think that's kind of one point to, to make when you're talking about Westbrook is like, we're not saying that he's like one of the 15 best players in the league anymore, or the 15 guys who you'd want to win a title. But from a fantasy perspective, I mean, he was still giving you 27, eight, seven, almost two steals a game last year. Yeah. Yeah, he was he, he was really good. Um, you know, his he's not exactly the same player he was in terms of like he's he's shooting a lot fewer threes, although that helped his field goal percentage. Um, and yeah, I again like per, on a per game basis, there's I don't think there's any argument for Irving. Uh, or excuse me, on a per game basis, there's no argument for Westbrook over Irving. But I just I, you know we're talking about like potential total production here. You know, when you actually have to draft these guys. And, um, like I know Westbrook's 31 or 32 now, his injury situation is not going to get any better, but, um, in terms of these three guys, like Durant's upside is insane. Uh, and I'd just be willing to bank on that, honestly. Right. I did the Durant write up and, you know, I actually, I pulled out an actual real calculator to do this (laughs) and I, 
you know, I wrote that even if he comes back at 80% of his peak ability, and I will say I, I didn't even use his peak. You know, I think his best year, he averaged like 32 points a game. I, I think I based it off of like 30 points, uh, you know, but eight rebounds and like five assists. And if you take 85% of that, he, that's still 25.7 rebounds, four assists, and a combined two blocks and steals on, you know, some of the best efficiency in the entire league. So, like, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic. I know he's going to be 32 in a couple of weeks. You know, that's it, it doesn't seem like he should be that old. You know, that, that's gone so quickly these last few years. The Achilles is a major concern. Uh, but that said, I mean, I, I think we talk about some of these teams that, that are going to have this long layoff between games. I, I almost think that the way that this is all working out with the delay, like Durant's going to have almost 20 months between his final game with the Warriors in the finals last year and his first game with the Nets. I mean, there's going to be no questions about whether that Achilles is healed physically. You know, nobody's going to be asking, did he come back too soon? Is he ready? Like, by all accounts, he's going to be ready physically. And I, I don't know if there's ever been a player who suffered this injury or another major injury who's kind of had this type of break in terms of the calendar just shifting so drastically that, you know, maybe there are teams that it doesn't benefit, but I, I think the Nets are one team that it probably does. Yeah. Like Porzingis had a really time off too, a long time off too. And it's right. kind of like that, I think. But yeah, I mean, Durant's peak, like Durant, if you discount his rookie season, so from his sophomore season onward, has never been worse than eighth in per game value. And his top like two seasons when he was first overall were better than Harden's current first overall season in terms of value. So like Durant, I mean, you know, like it's it the limit for him is unbelievable. And like, even if he has, you know, even if he has his worst uh, you know, non-rookie season. You're still looking at like eighth. You're still looking at like first round value potentially. So yep. I'm sure there will there might be some rest games. Who knows? But like plenty of people are going to be taking Durant, I think, in the in the mm-hmm. first round towards the end, at least. For me, the risk with him does lie in health. You know, if, if there is a major injury, um, you know, with his age and coming off the Achilles, you just kind of have to live with that. I'm not worried at all about how he'll fit alongside a completely new set of teammates. I think he's just so good that it won't matter. Like there are very few guys in the league that are situation proof and even coming off of an injury, not playing for a year and a half. I I still think he's one of those guys. He is. Yeah. I mean, his shooting ability alone, like Kevin Durant as a pure spot up player would score 25 points a game. Like, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, and we see him already play with another, I mean, we, we've seen him in two different team contexts, right? We saw him, and like next to another high usage superstar in Westbrook, which is kind of like Irving. And then we saw him on like a more balanced team with the Warriors. And he did extremely well in both situations, like you alluded to. So that I'm not worried about at all. So let's jump up to tier two, which we labeled the high floor stars. Uh, this is the the most robust tier overall, other than tier four, which is just kind of the rest of, of the first round picks. Uh, in this tier, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo, Trey Young, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, and Kawhi Leonard. You know, we, we, we talked a little bit about the placement of Giannis, uh, a guy who was pretty much going first or second in, in a lot of leagues last year. It would probably surprise a lot of casual fantasy players that he did not even finish as a first-round value uh, in, in total value or per-game value last season. Yeah, he has the worst free throw percentage drag in the entire league. It's worse than Zion's was. Um, it's worse. It's worse than everybody else. And like that, that dragged him down a ton. And if you're in a league where like, yeah, you can punt free throws or it's points league, who cares? But again, Roto value, he finished 13th per game. Um, and this was a guy who obviously was being drafted top five, um, five being like 
very like rarely would he go fifth in a draft. And I just think like there is a yes, there is a chance he improves his free throw percentage, but it got worse in the playoffs. Like it's got it gets worse in the playoffs over the past two seasons. So I, I'm not banking on him getting better at that. Um, I'm not banking on him making more threes really than he did this year. And you know, I, I know Bugenholzer got destroyed for playing Giannis like 35 minutes a game in the playoffs, but it would surprise me if he jumps up Giannis's workload in the regular season next year. Like I still think Giannis yeah. is playing 30 minutes a game next season. And that obviously affects all of his stats. And um, you know, maybe he, he regressed a little bit in terms of steals and blocks and Hey, maybe that jumps back up. But unless he, unless he gets that free throw percentage better, it's re- it's going to be really hard for him to finish top five, like really difficult. Yeah. And there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that guys could make that leap in one year. Usually it's a gradual thing. And for him, it's been gradually going down as opposed to gradually going up. So, I mean, there's, like you said, he shot 58% uh, at the line in the playoffs. That's in your write-up. Chances are that's not magically just going to be 85 next season. You know, I mean, maybe there is some progression, but I, I don't think he's all of a sudden going to be a guy who helps you in that category. And and when you're that much of a drag on on, on one specific category, it, it really really does kill you and kind of knock you out of that, that top tier. But, you know, if you want to bet on Giannis improving uh, or maybe even playing three more minutes per game, you know, I, I think he'll be so strong elsewhere that I don't have a problem still taking him in the top five necessarily. Uh, but I, I just don't think he's in contention for the number one pick, which of course is why he's in tier two. Um, I don't have a, a ton to say about Trey young. You know, we have, we're, it's, he's one of those guys that it's going to be a really long time between games. Um He's he's already been so much better than I ever thought he would. I, I thought he was going to be a huge bust coming out of Oklahoma. Uh, I've been proven wrong on that. You know, for him, it, it's just kind of a question of like, what is the ultimate ceiling? You know, when you're when you're averaging like 28 points a game in year two, it's kind of the same question we've talked about in the past with Luca, where it's like you can only keep going up so far. You know, like you're not just going to incrementally leap eight points per game every single year. Um, so the question for me with Young is just like, can we expect a whole lot more than what he gave last year? If so, where do the improvements come? I think the improvement has to come from like two point shooting, like making more layups. Um, essentially, that's it. Because like like you alluded to, he's, he's averaging 30 points a game. He's handing out nine assists and he's taking nine free throws. Like he's his ceiling again. I mean, obviously insane three point shooter making three and a half a game. His ceiling is really high. The offense runs entirely around him. He has the ball in like every single possession. He controls the whole offense. And so you kind of just point to like his field goal percentage and his steals. And so like maybe he gets a little bit better. Maybe he gets 1.4 steals instead of, you know, one steal. Maybe he goes up to 46% shooting instead of 44. And I think it'll just be small improvements like that because he's not going to, he's not going to average, you know, 35 and 14. Right. Right. I think that's well said. I don't have a lot to say about LeBron. I, I, I think we kind of have to keep going year to year with him. And unless he suffers a catastrophic injury over the next two weeks, you know, he's going to be right there again. There's been very little slippage physically, statistically. You know, he led the league in assists this past year. I think he's plenty capable of doing that again. The Lakers have some avenues to maybe improve that roster a little bit, which they, they didn't really have this past summer going all in on Davis. Um, so maybe he has a slightly better cast around him. Uh, but I, I think LeBron's value should pretty much be the same next year. Um, Jokic, Doncic, and Steph Curry are the next three in this tier. Um, you know, Jokic, we, we kind of debated you and I a little bit. I, I think I maybe would have bumped him up a little bit higher. But at the same time, being a guy who really doesn't give you 
much defensively from the center spot is, is a pretty big drag for him. And he's also just not as good of a three-point shooter volume or percentage-wise in the regular season as he has been in the playoffs. I think he's shooting like almost 50% from three on a much higher volume during the postseason, uh, but he just wasn't that shooter during the regular season. No, he was he was a lot more patient with the ball this season in terms of like not firing up wide open threes all the time, um, which is, I mean, in my opinion, kind of a bad thing, but um, just a lot more patient, like shooting more two pointers. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he just he, we know what he is like. He's an extremely high floor player. There is a chance he jumps up to like, you know, like 25 points a game. Like I can obviously it's what he's doing in the playoffs basically over the past two playoffs, like we know he can pull up 25, 10 and 10. We know that's in his bag, but like, um, again, regular season, a guy who just like, they don't, they, they were fine winning, you know, I think it was 46 games this shortened season with him averaging 20 points, uh, 10 rebounds, seven assists. So like, I don't expect a ton to change there. Doncic, kind of the same questions that we brought up with Luca or with uh, Trey young, you know, what, how much more can he improve? He's a guy too, that uh, the free throw percentage kind of kills him. You know, he yeah. was uh, right around 75% this past year, which is better than the year before he was at 71 as a rookie. So if he can get that closer to 80, you know, then he's absolutely in the conversation for like a top five to seven pick. Uh, but right now, you know, he's fourth in the league in, in per game free throw attempts this past year. If he's going to be in the mid seventies, he's like Giannis kind of a guy who gives you a lot elsewhere, but that one category ends up dragging him down yeah that's about it for him like i have no other i have no other real yeah. analysis like we know he's incredible it's just free right. throw percentage yeah let's keep moving steph curry is an interesting one uh much like carl towns uh, obviously curry we have more, much more of a sample with him of being an elite fantasy player a guy who has a couple of number one seasons under his belt also a little bit of a longer injury history uh than Towns. so and he's also obviously quite a bit older I, I'm I, I just I'm very nervous to draft Curry this year. Yeah, you know, I, I certainly still would, uh, given the given the right opportunity. But he's going to turn 33 in March, and and as I wrote in the write up, I mean he missed 44 combined games over his previous two years. So you know it kind of seemed like for a while he was over those those early career ankle injuries. He played 78, 78, 80, 79, 79 in five straight years from 2012 to 2017, but. You know, these last three years, the the injury bug has kind of returned. And I, I don't know, I'm not quite as optimistic as I was this time last year when, you know, we kind of thought he might go nuts with with no Durant and no Clay. And we just, you know, he got he got hurt so early in the year that we never even got to see if that was a possibility. Right. I still think um, I still feel like he has to go in the first round. Yeah. Like per game, if you discount this season's never finished worse than top 10 um, and even like even two seasons ago, 2017, 18, he played 51 games and still finished 22nd in total value. Like yeah. the floor on him is ridiculous. Even if he, even if he does play like, you know, if, assuming we full play a full 82 games next year, even if he does play like 50, 55 games, like he could still almost, he's right. not going to tank your team. So um, I think he's an end of the first round guy considering the injury history and, and everything like that. But it wouldn't surprise me if like come, you know, come draft day, He's he's just he slowly creeps up the board and, uh, you know, he he sneaks into like sixth or seventh or something right. like that. All right, let's go down to tier four. Then these are just our, our other first round candidates, guys, who you maybe want to consider in like the 10 to 12 range or, you know, if you're playing in a, in a larger league, um, the next few picks beyond that. 
we have Brad Beal, Paul George, John Collins, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, and the aforementioned Hassan Whiteside. Where do you want to start here? Well, we talked about Collins and Beal. Um, so I guess let's just jump into Paul George. Um, he was fine, right? Like there's no, like, it's not like he was bad or anything, but he, he was still 27, which is kind of like after, after last season where he had legitimate MVP buzz, it was just like a really, really rapid, like crash back down to earth. Um, like I mentioned 27th this season per game after he finished fourth per game last season, um, 16th for the two years before that, both seasons. And it just seems like he's really content with being the second guy. Like he's fine with being the sidekick. He's fine with like spending entire weeks just standing at the three-point line, shooting open threes and not doing much yeah. else. Um, so, you know, you if you think he's a bounce back candidate, I, I could I mean, maybe I get it. Maybe they come, maybe the Clippers come out of this with like a new mentality or whatever, and you want to take Paul George 12th. That's fine. Again, high floor guy um, has been relatively healthy. So, but it's just, it's really underwhelming in general. The last sentence of his write-up, which which I did, I had, I mentioned that you might be able to get him at a discount because of how underwhelming he was in the playoffs. Yeah, I think people in general are just going to be really down on him kind of in the same way that they will with Westbrook. And you know, you're right that after finishing as the number two player last year, second in MVP voting, you know, by far the best year of his career, it was pretty shocking to look at his numbers. But one thing I honestly didn't realize is how few minutes he played this year. And he was, yeah. he was always seemingly, you know, coming off of an injury. He played 48 games, but there were some, some longer absences uh, baked in there. But when you look, when, when you look at everything like per 36 to standardize, his numbers were pretty damn good. I mean, they were close to identical to last year. He was about one less rebound, uh, you know, a half a steal a game lower, little bit of a higher turnover rate but his field goal percentage was better his three-point percentage was almost three percentage points better uh the attempts were there you know his free throw percentage was better so ultimately it just came down to the fact that i think he was just kind of always working his way back from something i mean he he played a full seven minutes per game lower uh in 2019-20 than he did last year in okc so you know i guess you can wonder about like where his confidence will be after this just terrible playoff run but if he if he just plays 35 minutes a game, which he has his entire career and probably should next year if he's healthy, I think there's a pretty good chance he he ends up being a lot closer to the guy we saw two years ago. If he give it, if he gets the minutes, he should be. But like OKC needed him to play 36 minutes a game. Indiana yeah. needed him to play 36 minutes a game. This Clippers team is kind of like they're they're sort of like the Bucks, where it's like they can play guys like Paul George 30 minutes if they want to because they're again they're so good. Um, you know, on paper, they don't really need to like push it that much. But I, I agree where it's like he it would surprise me if he had this season again. Yeah, um, because his minutes should go up a little bit. I mean, wasn't he coming off double shoulder surgery uh, to right. start the year? So like he should get off to a, a better start and, and everything like that. So um, I can see, you know, if you have the 12th pick, if you're in a deeper league, you have the 14th or the 16th. Like, that's fine. Like Draft Paul George. I honestly think the injuries weren't the issue necessarily. Like I like he did kind of get off to a slow start, but it really just was the minutes restrictions. Like his first two games of the season when he, you know, I think he missed the first like 10 or 11 games makes his debut in mid November. He played 24 minutes in his first game of the year and had 33 points. And then 
two nights later played 20 minutes and had 37 points and six threes. So like he was fine. I think it really just was a minutes issue. And like you said, I, I don't think he comes back and all of a sudden is playing 38 minutes a game next year, but with the increased efficiency that comes with playing in a better situation, even if he's playing 32 or 33 minutes a game, which is a lot more reasonable. Um, I, I think there's a pretty good chance he ends up being a first round guy. Uh, thoughts on this, on this two Sixers guys in this tier Embiid and Simmons. Well, I hate drafting Embiid because of the injury thing. I, yeah. I'm always going to be worried about him playing, you know, like <laughs> just having a season where he gets hurt and plays 20 games. Um, you know, kind of like a Kyrie thing. And I never, I'm, I'm always going to expect him to miss 15 games, no matter what. Um, I mean, a new coach is interesting for both of these guys. Um, you know, I think, I think Embiid has a way higher ceiling than Simmons, just because we've seen him, we've seen Simmons kind of, or excuse me, Embiid kind of took a step back this year in fantasy, like per game, I, I guess just as a player, like per game. Um, and I think, you know, Simmons, I don't know where Simmons goes to like improve his game necessarily. He's not going to hit threes. Um, he's not, I, I, I don't know where else he's going to score then. Like I, it's really hard to see him going over 16, 17, 18 points a game. And I think his usage is already mostly like capped out. Right. So um, I think, I think if you're drafting one of these guys for upside, you it's, it's funny because you go and bead for upside, but the injuries kind of drag that back down. And then for Simmons, um, like he plays, he plays every game. Like he, he had, he had injuries this year, but in general, he's been healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but his, I, I feel like his, his ceiling is much lower. So Tatum and Booker uh, are the two other guys in this category besides Whiteside, who we already touched on. Tatum's a really tough guy uh, to place, I think, because, you know, if everything breaks right and he just continues on this trajectory, it's definitely not crazy to think he could, you know, end up being like a top five or six guy, especially if there's the usual number of injuries and just, you know, it's not like the top 12 guys always finish as the top 12. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to miss 50 games, whatever it might be. Um, and, and Tatum has been, you know, very durable so far, 80 games, 79 games, 66 games through his first three years really seemed to turn the corner, you know, around January of this past year. And it's been a great sign that that's picked up in the bubble. I mean, he's been, he's basically been that guy ever since he, he made the the so-called leap, you know, with him, he's, he's never going to be like a major producer of assists, but the rebounding has gotten a lot better. The scoring numbers are obviously way up. It wouldn't shock me if he was approaching 30 points per game next year. Uh, a good defender, you know, not a guy who necessarily racks up steals at like a Ben Simmons type of level, but was still around like two and a half combined steals and blocks um, from February onward this past regular season. So quite a bit of upside there. Uh, but obviously being a guy who's not like an all world level playmaker, like to, to really jump up into the top two tiers um, and, and be comfortable with it. Like, I, I think you'd want a little bit more in that area, but I mean, Simmons is trending in that direction or Tatum, I should say is trending in that direction where he's, he's so efficient and the volume is, is continuing to increase that, um, you know, we, we could be maybe two or three years away from this, but you know, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that he's on like a Durant light type of trajectory. I know. I think that's completely like on base. Like I, cause he, I mean, he's a guy where, like when you watch, you know, he's a guy where you see him, he passes the like almost fantasy eye test to some example, where you see him out there. He's always active on both ends of the court. Like the Brad Stevens trusts him like down the stretch to both guard guys like Jimmy Butler, 
to take last second shots, even if they suck, like a la Kobe style. So like, it's like, he's a guy who is going to step into that superstar status, I think sooner than later. And we're kind of seeing him doing it, kind of see him do it in the playoffs right now. So, I mean, yeah, if he comes out next season and averages 28 points a game with, you know, four assists on like similar efficiency, that would surprise nobody. And frankly, I think most people are expecting it. So who are some guys who, when we were going through and making this list, um, you thought either should be included or you, or you considered including and then you know ultimately decided against it? Um, you know, I, well, we, we kind of talked about including Porzingis because right. after he got over that initial hump of coming back, playing with a new team, getting used to Doncic, et cetera, he like, he was fantastic. Um, it just in terms of like, he's never been like a, a great rebounder, but he kind of stepped that up a little bit this season. And there were some games, like he had some absolutely monster games, especially when, um, especially when Doncic was out for a stretch and they yep. just like leaned on him a ton. Um, he was incredible. And from, so his last 26 games, this is from uh, January onward, not including the playoffs, 24 points on 45, 36, 85 shooting, nine and a half rebounds, 2.2 assists, 1.9 blocks, 0.9 steals. Uh, you're just, that's incredible production. So, you know, like that's, that's someone you, you have to at least think about taking if you have like the 14th pick. Um, he finished 36th, but it's conceivable to me that he, he does make that jump because of how well he works with Doncic. Um, and his ceiling as, as far as we've seen is 21st on a per game basis. That was 2017, 18 with the Knicks. Um, basically like when they were about to feed him the ball, every single possession that season. Um, so, you know, I think he could certainly give up the 21st again. Yeah. Porzingis was one of my guys as well. I, I think for me, the injuries are just far too much of an issue to, to spend a first round pick on him. And it, it's getting to the point where I'd, I'd be a little bit iffy even on, on a second round pick. I, I believe I took him in the second round last year over Bam and immediately regretted that. Um, Adebayo was kind of on my initial list. It, it wasn't as great of a fantasy asset, honestly, in terms of his final finish uh, as, as I thought he would be. Uh, but he's someone that, you know, as he continues to improve, I, I think eventually is going to be in that category. Um, but yeah, Por- Porzingis was really the guy for me who was the toughest choice. I mean, Brandon Ingram, I think we, we discussed yeah. a little bit just because he was so good for 60%, 70% of the regular season. But, you know, he went from being kind of a fringe first round value to a guy who sunk back into more like third or fourth round territory by the time that Zion Williamson came back. And that's a situation too. That is one of the that is a team situation that could change because yeah. they have they're gonna have a new coach, and I think it's conceivable given like how god awful they were in the bubble that they are like they kind of pull back and they're like maybe we should actually go completely youth focused. Um, I think it's conceivable they trade Drew Holiday. Very conceivable they just start Jackson Hayes next year. That Derek Favors is gone. Um, there were some rumors that like Lonzo ball may not be there next season. Cause apparently they didn't like his attitude during the bubble or something like that. And so like, if this team looks completely different next season, that wouldn't surprise me. And I think that would op- open up, you know, as many opportunities for Ingram as he had like pre Zion, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, I think there'll be plenty of people, especially if they do go that direction who draft Ingram again, back of the first round. 
the last guy I want to mention before we move on is Chris Paul, who in terms of total value, I think snuck into the end of the first round uh, this past year, you know, partially because I think he only missed one regular season game. He was closer to end of the second round uh, when you take it on a per game basis. But, you know, if, if you draft it, if you kind of bought in on Paul, which not a lot of people were based on the injury history and the age this past year, it really paid off. I'm not going to say that can't happen again. We don't even know where he's going to play, but man, I, I would not bank on Chris Paul missing one game again next year, let alone <laughs> fewer than like 10 games. Right. This is like the ultimate. This is like if we're talking about like this is like the 98th percentile of like what Chris Paul's season could have been. Right. Like this is really unexpected that he played this well, played this many uh, games, everything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I again, team context, who knows if he's on the Thunder next year, um, but I would not bank on him playing that many games again. He's going to be a guy that everyone, you know, some people are going to draft him there for the variance. And, but ultimately he, he's going to be a guy that I just keep looking at and like, well, is he there in the fourth round? Like, can I just grab him in the fourth or fifth round and try to like hope for, you know, something good. And if he's terrible, it won't kill me. So, yeah. All right. So let's look at some of the betting angles for the NBA playoffs. The conference finals, of course, are underway. Uh, I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, you'll have like, 20 minutes to get your bets in for game two of Celtic seats. So we, we, we'll try not to focus too much on that specific game, but uh, you know, the heat of course, take game one on Tuesday. They are now minus 168 on FanDuel uh, to win that series. Boston plus 135. Uh, the Celtics are two and a half point favorites heading into game two. Uh, you know, this one, we, we did a, our staff predictions piece as we've done for every series so far. And I think all the respondents had either Celtics or heat in seven that's kind of been the standard response. I haven't seen almost anyone predict that this series is going to go five or six games. It's pretty much like a 50, 50 toss up and almost everyone's saying seven games. I still feel that way. I, I it's, it's really hard to like get a read game to game, especially since these are neutral site. But I guess if I think the series is going seven games, that probably means that Boston should win game two, you know, to, to prevent Miami from being out, you know, two out. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean like one bet that would have been really like, something like you can t- bet the series games over under and like over five and a half games. It'll depend, like I would get, that's an easy over for me, but like, yeah, the Celtics minus two and a half this game. Uh, some like quick hitters, Boston 31, 25 and four against the spread as favorites. They've gone under the total, which is two Oh nine point five, not that specific total, but they've gone mm-hmm. under their game total in eight of the past 10 games. And this is a series where I probably would, if you told me I had to bet the over or the under every game, I'd probably bet the under because yep. these two teams are really just defensive minded. Um, I I was one of the people who thought Heat in seven. So um, I think a lot of people will be banking on that Celtics minus two and a half or at least Celtics money line to come back in this game. Um, there were a lot of like encouraging things from them. There were, were some things that just were not as encouraging, like like Bam got to the free throw line 11 times on them um, down the stretch. It was just a lot of Tatum ISO uh, Kemba still looks a little off, although he very much redeemed himself in the second half of that game. Um, but yeah, this will be another close game for sure. I'm with you on the under uh, not only in game two, but unless something drastic changes probably for the rest of the series. I mean, game one obviously went over because it was an overtime game uh, and it would have gone over that, that two Oh two Oh eight and a half. Um, no matter what, it, I think it was like 211 or 212 in regulation. Um, 
but the, the that game was played at a pace of 90 possessions per 48. You know, that's extremely low. That's yeah. That's that's the lowest would be the lowest in the league uh, by far. Um, and, and, you know, both teams I thought played fairly well offensively in that game, you know, both offensive ratings were, I think like at least 114, uh, you know, Marcus Smart, once again, red hot from three, he hit six threes in that game. That probably doesn't happen again. Um, and both teams were under their turnover average as well. I I think we see a more, a more consistent game from Miami specifically, you know, they had 37 points in the second quarter, 35 points in the fourth quarter. And then under 20 points in the first and the third, I think it all kind of settles out more evenly, and and we see another you know really defensive type of game where yeah I could see this one finishing like you know 103 98 that type of thing. Yeah, and I mean these are I mean yeah I mean both of these teams it just feels like there's gonna be a game in this series where it's gonna end up like 89 94 or something sure. like that. Um, and obviously, like picking which one that will be, it'll be like you can't do that specifically. But like, I don't know, man. Like, it's it's tough. Like, this is this is an incredible series in terms of like how close I think it will be. I think both these teams are extremely evenly matched. Um, like in general, I'd be more comfortable just betting like how close the games will be. Like, yeah. will the game be within ten points? That sort of a thing. Not having uh, to pick a winner. Not having to pick a winner. Right. Just will it be within like double digits? That was, you might be able to find that somewhere. You can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you definitely yeah, yeah. can. And exactly. like that's something I would just I would rather do. Like, will the game yeah. be within 10 points? Will it hit the under? Yeah. Like, I'm way more comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I have to. I'm doing the DraftKings show later today. And that's, you know, one of the questions is, you know, what do you what do you think? Wh- who do you take Celtics minus two and a half? I don't know. It's like I <clears throat> I think the game's going to be super close. I just have no idea game to game who's going to win. Like there's I think the Celtics have kind of played like that since the Toronto game. Miami, Miami's what, nine and one now in the playoffs. But, you know, even even some of those Milwaukee games were really close. And I think these teams are just unbelievably evenly matched. Uh, let's look at Nuggets Lakers real quickly. Game one of that series uh, tips off on Friday night. Not surprisingly, uh, the Lakers are, are massive favorites in this one. Uh, I think you took down Lakers minus 590 on FanDuel. They're minus 625. Ooh. On DraftKings, uh, the Nuggets plus 410 on FanDuel, plus 450 on DraftKings. Uh, I, I didn't write down the the initial uh, opening series prices when they came out, but I, I'm pretty sure that it's gone in favor of the Lakers uh, in the days since. Again, not surprising considering the teams involved, the players involved on the Lakers side. Um, you know, the Nuggets. It, it just it seems like at some point they're going to run out of gas, but we also thought that after like three games or four games in the Clippers series, so. You know, I, I almost think part of this, like if you're the Lakers, they'll never admit it. You know, I think you'd much rather play Denver than the Clippers, even though the Clippers never fully looked like the locked in Clippers at any point. You know, just avoiding Kawhi Leonard, not for LeBron specifically, not having to deal with that matchup is huge. Um, and I almost think, you know, like I, I don't think they, they disrespect the Nuggets, but by this point, the Nuggets have commanded respect, you know, no matter what. And the Lakers have lost their last two game ones to Portland and Houston. I don't think they respected either of those teams. Uh, I think that trend maybe yeah. reverses on Friday night and and the Lakers, you know, kind of realize how seriously they have to take this series. Yeah, this this is tough. I I'll tell you at the very least I'd be way more comfortable with putting uh $100 down to win like 450 on the Nuggets in the series than to put like $625 down to win $100 with right. the Lakers. Like I just would not I would be nervous the entire time. Um, yeah. And yeah, because the Nuggets have proven like they can obviously beat elite teams and they can 
they're they're never out of it. Um, it's I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think I'll at least offer this up. Like both teams, the the over under is set at two and eleven or two eleven, and the over under is or excuse me, the total. Well, I cannot speak. The Lakers are minus seven. The the over under is two eleven. Both of these teams have gone under or pushed in their past three games, and the Nuggets have gone under or pushed from Game 7 against Utah onward. So the Nuggets have been all over the under, um, which is kind of counterintuitive because I think people still look at Denver as like this fast-paced, run-and-gun team. Um, But they've been kind of grinding it out. They've been playing better defense. Uh, Both teams have also covered their past three spreads, so someone's got to lose that. Um, But this is a game I think think there will be a lot of action on the over, that's just my guess. I don't know. Because uh, when you kind of think of this series, you think it's going to be really exciting with a lot of like, high-flying stuff and Jokic. But I think this could be could be a sneaky underplay, honestly. I, I like that you separated the high-flying stuff from Jokic. Yeah, He's right. not, he is not included in the high-flying. No, I, I'm with you. I, I think the total is 212 for game one. I'm going under. And I, this is another one I, I have to analyze for the DK show. You know, the Lakers are going to go back to starting JaVale McGee. Frank Vogel hinted at that during his availability. That was, that was enough for you. <laughs> What's that? That was enough for you. You're like under JaVale McGee's back. Well, I, when they start JaVale McGee and when they play JaVale and Dwight, they tend to play a more defensive style. You know, when they, they started yep. Anthony Davis in game five against Houston and, you know, I compared it on Tuesday to those old LeBron Cavs teams and heat teams where you have four shooters around LeBron, LeBron's, you know, comfort, plenty comfortable shooting threes they hit 19 threes in that game. And when, when Danny Green, Alex Caruso, Kuzma, LeBron, when those guys are taking and making a lot of threes, the Lakers offense is completely different and they'll probably score 120 to 125 points. But when they go smaller, I, I think they're maybe a little bit better defensively at times, uh, especially against a team that has a, a, a great big man in Jokic. Uh, the Lakers tend to slow things down. They tend to win games like 101 to 93, you know, when they, when they have these, these bigger lineups. So I, I think at least to begin the series, they're they're willing to sacrifice some of that that you know kind of freewheeling, you know, running gun, shoot threes, fast break type of basketball that we saw against Houston. And I think they're going to try to revert back to how they won games during the regular season, which was much more of a grinded out style. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely on that. Do you are you interested in? So I, I I wrote up or I saw two player props for this game on DraftKings. So you can get Jamal Murray as the top point scorer at five to one and you can get a LeBron triple double at four to one. Do you think either of those are appealing? Cause those are the two that kind of stuck out to me as like pretty good value. Like something I'd be interested in for sure. I feel like with Murray, we'll know within like the first six minutes of the game. <laughs> score. Seriously. Like the way, I mean, he, he continues to kind of come and go. I mean, what did he have at half of game seven, like 27, something like that. I mean, he, he went on that huge run in the second quarter to really keep them in the game and never really slow down. I don't know. I mean, I, I think, like I said, I, I think the Lakers win game one, and I'm usually very pessimistic when it comes to my rooting interests, but I think the Nuggets have commanded their respect. I, I think the Lakers were playing so well at the end of that Houston series that they're going to want to pick up where they left off. My, my one question, I guess, is, you know, having six days off between games can sometimes work against you. Uh, I think the Nuggets are kind of coming in perfectly where they have two na- they have two days off, you know, just enough to recover, but not really lose your rhythm. Um, as far as LeBron with the triple doubles, he only has, I think two in the, in the playoffs, right? Or three, two. Okay. So he has two total triple doubles in the playoffs, but he's missed two more by one assist. 
Right. And he's been, you know, like one rebound or one assist away in a couple others. So, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say like, well, he's gone five straight games without a triple double. He's not getting one. I mean, he's been really close. I do think LeBron in game ones does tend to play more of that distributing style. We saw it, against it out, Portland. you know, against Portland, 23 points, 17 rebounds, 16 assists. Game one against Houston only takes 15 shots, scores 20 points. Um, I think maybe he settles in somewhere in between. So, you know, if there is a chance to have a triple double in the series, and of course there always is with LeBron, I, I kind of like it to come in game one when he really tends to try to get guys, especially Anthony Davis involved. And, you know, for him, that's the easiest way to, to rack up assists early in games. I think that makes sense. And like for the Murray one, the five to one number kind of sticks out. Cause like, I, I, I kind of think, okay, if this game, let's say the series went five games, I would assume Murray leads the the game in scoring at least once, right? Like oh. if they were, yeah. So I feel like just, that's just good value, and that so that value may shift as the series goes on. But I think initially, um, that's the logic I would use to take five to one. And I like your you know triple double call there, just trying to get everyone involved. So maybe you could take the over on his assists as well, which I'm not sure of, but I would guess would probably be like nine and a half or something. Yeah, I'm trying to look and see if that's available right now. Those those might not be out. Um... They have double double ones too, where I think that that also makes okay. sense for LeBron because you figure like, well, he's either going to get the rebounds yep. or he's going to get the assists. He's but at eight and a half for assists. I mean, that feels like an over to me. But is it is it? Oh, it's got to be like minus one thirty or something. It is uh, now. Have of course lost it. It is at plus one ten for the over, minus one thirty four for the under. Interesting. Wow, that's shocking. I, I love that. Yeah, I would I would love to take the over on eight and a half. I, I think that's a great bet. Uh, so looking at the futures market, something I always keep an eye on, like I said at the top, as soon as the Clippers lost, the Lakers vaulted to the top of basically every futures bet that you could imagine. Um, I mean, even going into game seven, the the Clippers were still favored to get to the championship or uh, to get to the finals and ultimately win the championship. Uh, Kawhi was favored to win finals MVP. So there was this belief that if, if the Clippers could just close out Denver, they would kind of refine uh, refine their stride and and, and take care of, of the Lakers or at least have a, a betting chance to do so. Uh, but with the Clippers out of the way, it's pretty clear that the odds makers now view the Lakers as not only the heavy favorite to beat Denver, but the heavy favorite to beat whoever comes out of the Eastern Conference. They're, they're minus 200 to win the title right now. Miami plus 400, Boston plus 550, Denver plus 900. Uh, and LeBron and Davis are the two by far, uh, have the two best odds to win finals MVP. LeBron's at plus 120, Davis at plus 320, and then you go all the way down to plus 1,000 where you find Butler and Tatum. Yeah, even though even though I think Denver, you know, plus 400 or so to win the series against the Lakers is good value, I also think Lakers minus 200 to win the title is pretty good value. Um, like, I'd, I'd, I'd be a lot more comfortable with that bet for some reason. Um but yeah, and LeBron at plus 120, like you just assume he gets the finals MVP, right? If they win. So if you want a way to get plus money on the Lakers and a title victory, it kind of makes sense to go. Right. Um, I would I would think about parlaying those two. If you can. Some sites yeah. don't let you do stuff like that. But um, I mean, that would be I would I would be that would be something to do for sure. Um, yeah. And I, the other finals MVP guys, I mean, it's conceivable that Davis has a good enough series to usurp LeBron. If LeBron, I I just, I feel like that's probably not going to be the case. Um, Butler, I kind of still worry about like, I kind of still worry about like Adebayo and like almost Goran Dragic to some extent. Um, and Tatum, I feel pretty confident in Tatum. 
uh, as like a finals MVP if the, if the Celtics yeah. got there as the guy that would win it for Boston. And then I think Jokic makes sense for Denver, but if Murray got hot, it's just one of those things where if the Nuggets won the NBA finals, chances are it was because Murray is averaging like 35 a game right. or something. So I, I could see that. Yeah, I, I feel the same way as far as LeBron and Davis. I mean, I, I think there's a good chance that Davis could have the better series and LeBron would still win it. Like it would, <laughs> it would take an overwhelmingly dominant Davis series, I think, for the voters to go against LeBron. And I almost think he would win it as like a lifetime slash season achievement award, more so than a finals MVP. You know, because he's by then it'll be announced that Giannis has won the MVP. There will be two weeks worth of LeBron should have won it. This is the fifth time in his career that if you took the vote after the playoffs, he would have won the MVP, (laughs) which is actually true. I mean, it might be more than five. This is yet another year where you say, all right, let's take if you took the MVP vote even right now. Like, let's say the Lakers do go on and win the finals, you know, whatever. Like if you took if you voted for the MVP right now there's a pretty good chance that the gap would at least be a hell of a lot closer between LeBron and Giannis. And that's more so because of, of Giannis's shortcomings. But, you know, that aside, I, I think it's just, it would be inconceivable for the Lakers to win the title and LeBron to not get that award. Um, but with that said, I mean, I, it's not a shoe in to me. You know, I, I think if you had to rank the four remaining teams, I think you, you put just power rank them. You put the Lakers one, I think Denver's fourth. I don't even know what order I'd put Miami and Boston. I guess by virtue of Miami being up in the series, I would go Lakers, Heat, Celtics, then the Nuggets. Like, you know, the Lakers are rightfully favored to win the title. I think they'll get by the Nuggets. I don't think it's like an absolute lock that they'll just beat whoever comes out of the East. You know, I think you're glad that it's not Milwaukee or Toronto. Those are two teams that a few weeks ago we thought could really give the Lakers some trouble. Uh, But I mean, seeing how hard Miami's playing, seeing the depth that Boston has, especially with those, you know, their top two, and guys like Marcus Smart who bother anybody that he's guarding, I, I, I just don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's like a cakewalk for the Lakers just because the Clippers and the Bucks are out of it. Well, the Celtics would presumably have Gorgon Hayward back by then, right? So that's right. another. That's another. He might, he might be back for Game Three. Who knows? Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting fold. I mean, I think. I think I'd lean. If we, yeah, if we were to power rank the the last four teams. I, I don't know. Like, part of me wants to put Boston at the bottom because I think they've proven the least, right? Like, Miami beat Milwaukee, and the Nuggets beat the Clippers. And, like, you can say my Milwaukee collapsed. You can say the Clippers collapsed. Like, I guess, right? But, like, they still, the the Heat and the, the Nuggets still, like, had a really dominant series, at least the Nuggets, like, towards the end. So, like, it feels weird putting Boston last, but I think that's kind of where I stand right now. Um, and that doesn't really, that doesn't really have anything to do with them losing, um, game one for me. I think they could have won game one. I'd I'd feel the same way. You think if it was Nuggets Celtics in the finals that the Nuggets would be favored in that series? I mean, I would bet the Nuggets to win. Yeah. Although at that point they would have gotten through both LA teams. So yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, they would be on like an all time heater. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that we've really ever seen anything like this, right? I mean, and I guess it would go to an entirely new level if they beat the Lakers, that's for sure. But, you know, I, I think under normal circumstances, this probably just doesn't happen. Like, if that Game 7 is being played at the Staples Center, even though it's not the greatest crowd of all time when it's a Clippers building, I, I, I just don't see Denver winning that in a true road environment. But, you know, I, I haven't been a huge subscriber to the belief that the bubble was going to just, like, lead to all these crazy outcomes. It's hard to say that it hasn't at least been a part of, of some of these. I think to some extent, but also like even before the season, we were saying this is the most parody we've seen in the league since like the Warriors dynasty, right? 
Like, I, I mean, yeah, but like, I also never would have thought even at, like at the end of the regular season, I was never like, yeah, the Heat are ready to win the title. Like this is, uh, this is a step further well, than yeah. I ever thought. I, I agree. I mean, I was worried about Toronto. Like I wasn't entirely yeah. sold on the Bucks. I should say like sure. the Bucks, the Bucks not getting to the NBA finals is not completely shocking to me. No. The Clippers not getting to the Western Conference Finals, that's shocking. But I also did, like, I'm, I've been on Denver all year. I've liked them all the time. So, like, I'm probably one of the people who are, like, you right. know, like, this doesn't surprise me as much. But, yeah, I mean, if you had told us, yeah, middle of the season, like, we we do, uh, you know, Boston, Miami, and, and L.A., Denver, uh, the Lakers, Denver, for the for the two conference finals, people would be like, like, what the hell happened? Did Giannis right. get injured? Like, is, was Kawhi out? Well, kind of. <laughs> yeah, mentally yeah. out. So, so the the series prices, um, in terms of exact finals matchup, are Heat Lakers is the the favored matchup right now. That's minus one fifteen. Celtics Lakers plus one sixty nine on DraftKings. Heat Nuggets plus seven ninety, and then Celtics Nuggets you can get at plus eleven fifty. No outcome is out of the question at this point for me. I guess that's kind of my overall point with these. I agree. Like, I mean, again, I think the Heat will win, but I Celtics Nuggets at eleven to one—that's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I still feel like at that point, I'd rather just take the the shorter odds and go Nuggets to win to upset, uh, go Nuggets to upset the Lakers and not toy yeah. with like the bigger odds to get Boston also. But yeah, those are all like I can understand if anybody came up to me and was like, "I put a bet on this," I'd be like, "Yep, that makes sense." <laughs> yeah. So I, I haven't looked at your official prediction for Lakers Nuggets. That's that's next on the agenda here. That'll be up on the site, you know, momentarily. Uh, what what was your pick for that series? I do have Lakers in six. Okay. I don't feel extremely confident about it. Um, I think the I think as we kind of talked about last pod, Anthony Davis and like just like the size of LA against Jokic, I will be interesting. Um, although like they did fine, Jokic did fine against Gobert. <laughs> against the jazz right um yeah. and you know they like they don't have anybody to guard lebron but did they have anybody to guard paul george and Kawhi leonard either um so i, I think they didn't really need to but yeah that's that's right. a good point. <laughs> yeah i mean i have more confidence in lebron and those guys yes. but um yeah i have i have lakers in six that's just like a quick gut feeling but again like it's uh, what, i mean what do you have I've been leaning towards Lakers in six as well. Uh, to give you a little peek behind the curtain, when I post those roundtables, I always I always just write mine up. I'm like, yeah, and I don't base it on what you guys write. But, you know, I, I look around and see where people are thinking. I, I Deep down, I really want to say Lakers in five. Uh, but I, I tend to be, you know, a little bit more conservative when I make these picks. I mean, I like, like you mentioned, you know, kind of comparing LeBron to Kawhi. I don't like if the Lakers are up three one in this series, I think there's zero percent chance that Denver comes back. They can't fall into another three one hole. That's clear. Yes. I, I think but at the same time, I never would have thought that that would have happened against a Kawhi Leonard led team True. a week ago. You know, like my entire perception well not entire perception, I shouldn't say that. My at least perception for this season and kind of short term perception of Kawhi has definitely changed based on how that series ended up. You know, you certain types of players, when you get to a certain level, you just can't let that happen, you know? And if, if you're Damian Lillard or you're a, a Jokic level player, like that stuff happens and it's like, well, yeah, that's why he's not a top three guy. When you ascend to the level of Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, 
you're judged on kind of a different scale. And it, it kind of forces you to, to reevaluate that, at least for the short term. Although Kawhi's got two finals MVPs. He's got two rings for two different teams. Like, I, I don't think this really affects his legacy, at least not not for me. I, at the same time, though, I, I just I trust that LeBron would not let that happen at this point in his career. You know, he's had his letdowns early on, kind of around the time when he was, you know, Kawhi's age or a little bit younger. 35-year-old LeBron with a fourth ring on the line is not going to let the Nuggets back into a series. I guess my concern lies in the fact that they've lost two game ones already. You know, if if for some reason they don't take the Nuggets seriously enough and all of a sudden they're down 2-1, you know, can they can they pull together and, and win a game four if they're down in the series? That's what would worry me. I, I, if the Lakers are, get up in the series, like let's say they jump out to a 2-0 lead, I honestly think the series would be over pretty quick. Yeah, I... I'm still concerned a little bit about the Lakers depth. It hasn't been a huge issue because we've seen them close out two series pretty quickly. Um, you know, Rondo has really stepped up for them, but like, again, this is a situation where we've pointed out the the weaknesses in, in the Lakers depth all season. Are they going up against the Nuggets who are one of the deepest teams in the league, right? Like on any given night, Paul Millsap could be their third best player. Michael Porter Jr. could be their third best player. Jeremy yep. Grant, they have Gary Harris who's come back and, and look great. Um, and, you know, with with L.A., it's like limited to Rondo or Kuzma as their third best player. And at this point, I'm just I assume it's Rondo. Yes. And they're a lot more limited as who can be their third guy in any given night. Um, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I understand like the I, I do feel more confident in LeBron. He's just been doing it longer than Kawhi. And he's kind of gone through his failures and he's felt more what it's like to to fail over and over again and be down in series and come back and everything. Like he's been the team down three one to come back before in his career. He's had a lot more of those experiences than Kawhi, but um it's yeah, it's just really tough for me to move off of the Lakers, even though I I do like I, I love the Nuggets and what they've done is incredible. Yeah, I feel bad even saying like if it's two oh Lakers, it's over because the Nuggets have literally proven twice in the last month that they can come back from those deficits, but um, it gets harder and harder as the playoffs go on. You know, the, in theory, the opponents get tougher, and I, I do think the Lakers' mental toughness, especially in high sight, is is maybe where their advantage is over the Clippers, who have the better roster. Uh, but it's right to be concerned about the role players. You know, like one thing I've been thinking of is like who who wins the Kuzma versus Michael Porter battle. You know, both those guys will probably <laughs> right. play around 20, 25 minutes a game. If Michael Porter like torches Kyle Kuzma and averages like yeah. 14 points a game and hits a couple big threes in this series, that really could change things because I, I think there's a, a strategy here where maybe Denver just kind of you know is like, all right, we're going to concede 70 points a night to LeBron and Davis, but we're going to make Alex Caruso hit three corner threes. You know, we're going to make Mar- Markeith Morris come in and really you know really hit a, a few long threes because really what it comes down to for those role players is just are they making their threes? Most of those guys don't really offer much else. Exactly. I like your I like your Porter versus Kuzma example because I yeah. don't even think it's a question between who's the better player. I think it's Porter. And like they right. people listen. I've heard people say Kuzma's defense be- is better. Is it, it is better. like? I, it, but is it better enough to matter? Is his de- is he de- is his defensive improvement better than Michael Porter Jr.'s offense? Like I, I just no, I I don't think right. so. No. But I, I mean I, Porter obviously has some consistency issues. There's still some trust issues I think with Malone. Uh, but it, there's no question that his offensive ceiling night to night is already higher than Kuzma's. Right. Like I'd rather, I'd rather have Michael Porter Jr. as my fourth best player than yes. Kuzma. Like, that's no question there. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's tough. I, I think the, like on a LeBron led team, that's finals or bust. 
it, like Porter's vol- volatility, I think would be kind of an issue. Like I, I could kind of see there being some trust issues with like him and LeBron hypothetically. Um, but I think like Porter, not a great defender, but his effort has been there. I don't think that's ever been a problem. I think the issue is just, he's extremely skinny and has like no muscle and just kind of gets pushed around. Like if you watch him, he might not always be in the right spot, but he's at least flying around contesting shots and his rebounding, despite being that skinny, like he had some huge, huge rebounds in game six and seven against the Clippers. Um, you know, a couple blocks, uh, he had one on Zubac. I don't, don't remember which game it was. Um, but like right when the Nuggets kind of took control of that game in game seven, um, I, I don't remember if, I don't even remember what kind of shot it was, but I, I just remember one point being like, I can't believe Michael Porter just got that rebound in traffic over Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, those type of plays, they're, they're small in the grand scheme of things, but even if he's not, you know, on fire from three and, you know, having one of those nights where he's just being a little selfish, like, you know, Porter, Porter can swing a series more than a lot of guys uh, on the Lakers roster, um, outside of LeBron and Davis. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. I think we got to skip all NBA discussion. I don't want this to be an hour and a half podcast, so we'll save that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to that, <clears throat> I think, early next week, uh, which at that point, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit stale. But I think we'll kind of re-spark the debate uh, over why Chris Middleton is not a third team all NBA player. Uh, but this was great. I mean, I'm glad to talk a little fantasy, glad to break down these series. And by the time we talk next, probably Monday or Tuesday, um, you know, we'll have a much, hopefully a much better read on this Boston Miami series. And then, you know, at least two games down between the Lakers and the Nuggets. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.